Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Jody Picoult once said, You don't love someone because they're perfect. You love them in spite of the fact that they're not. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format, and we are caller-friendly, so let's get started. Good evening, Jonathan. What's happening? What's up? What's going on? What are we talking about? (laughs) Good evening, Rick. Hey, uh, our subject, our question is, can love last a lifetime? All right. Our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Okay, so we're talking about Can Love Last a Lifetime? It is February the 13th, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and this is our annual look at love and marriage. So let's get started by saying this, very, very simply. The best things in life are free. That certainly can be true, but as always, there is more to the story. Take love. The love that is between a husband and a wife as a for instance. While this love certainly should be free, freely given and freely received, it does have a maintenance schedule attached to it. Wait a minute, I never got one of those. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't get the manual, did you? (laughs) But here's the funny thing. We never hear much about love's maintenance schedule as it can be difficult, demanding, and even daunting. The good news is that if we stick with the schedule... The results will literally last a lifetime, and the love that we were freely given will have become a most valuable, admired, and cherished part of our lives. So, how do we get there? How do we learn what to do, and how do we do it so our love will last a lifetime? So really, Jonathan, the question is, how do we cash in on that lifetime warranty on this contract of marriage. That's what we want to know. Hey, just email me that maintenance schedule. I would appreciate it, Rick. Well, instead of emailing it to you, Jonathan, what we're going to do is we're going to go through it point by point tonight and get a sense of how it works and what we can do to make it work in our own lives. And we're going to start just with a chorus from a song to put you in the mood for a discussion, a talk, a a conversation about love and marriage. And this is from a song uh, from Westlife called, or a verse from a song from Westlife called, um, I Want to Grow Old With You. I want to grow old with you. I want to die lying in your arms. I want to grow old with you. I want to be looking in your eyes. I want to be there sharing in everything you do. 
Now, doesn't that just put you in the mood to say, yeah, this is what we're talking about? That was beautiful. Yes. It, it is. And that's the sentiment that we always have at the beginning when we're starting. So the question is, how do you maintain and attain that so it becomes a lifestyle rather than a wish in life? That's what we want to get to uh, with our podcast uh, today. So, so Jonathan, tonight, we are going to base our podcast on some advice from eHarmony.com. Rick, wait a minute. Why are you doing that? <laughs> What's going on? eHarmony? Really? <laughs> well, you're right. We, who would ever think that we would say, okay, let's get our advice from eHarmony.com? And, and yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let me, let me finish the explanation, okay? First of all, this was forwarded to us by one of our staffers, a CQ staffer. But here's the thing. There are seven points that they talk in this, in this advice about being in love and staying in love. And as I read through it, the question in my mind was, does, does this advice pass the test that we always use for anything we talk about? And that is, does it have a basis in Scripture? Well, then it, if it does, I'm okay with it. Well, it does. So right. <laughs> I hope you're going to be okay. It clearly passes our test of having its principles able to be soundly supported by Scripture. And that really is the key here. So good question, uh, and that's the answer. So, All right. <laughs> so we'll be quoting eHarmony.com throughout the, our podcast today. So this is seven things madly in love couples do to stay that way. And I think that's an interesting idea. Madly in love couples do to stay madly in love. It's weird when you think about it. If you're, you do anything madly, you think you're crazy, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we all understand it to be something that, that is really important. And, and I think a way we would like to live. So let's get started, Jonathan, with our first eHarmony.com uh, point. There are seven of them. The first point is listen. Listening to your partner reaps benefits in every area of your life together. When you listen, you'll learn things that will help you love the other person more deeply. You'll catch a glimpse of your partner's hopes, dreams, hurts, and fears. You'll hear about things you do that make your partner want to withdraw. You discover ideas and thoughts previously unknown to you. If you're not in the habit of listening, really listening, you're missing all these things and more. That is really profound when it talks about listening, really listening. And Jonathan, I just want to tell a quick personal story. It's not about marriage, but it's about listening. And it happened to me just this week, and that's why it's sort of on my mind. Uh, I'm a, generally a good listener. You know, I, I really try and focus on what, whoever is speaking to me, and I try to really get what they're saying. I have a client who's from Vietnam. And he came to this country many years ago, but he has an incredibly thick accent. And when I don't speak to him for several months, and then I get on the phone with him, I'm telling you, I find it almost impossible to understand what he's saying. Now, having said that, this, he, is, he and his wife are two of the most delightful, wonderful, incredible people you'll ever want to meet. They are so hospitable and all of that. But, you know, I mean, his accent is, he called me Miss Wishel, and he say, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so, so he gets on the phone, and I know it's him, and I know I have to focus. So if there's music on, the music goes off. I shut my laptop so I don't look at anything. I close my eyes, I put my finger in my other ear, and I just focus on the words so that I can get what he's saying. 
And it occurred to me, because this actually happened to me at the beginning of the week, that that's something about really listening. My intention was to not miss what he was saying. And I will tell you, even though I did that, I still had to have him repeat a couple of things because I just couldn't get it. But the point is, if we really focus, we have an opportunity to really listen. And really focusing means forget everything else. Literally, forget everything else and just put your focus on that person. And something special happens when you do that. In a world full of distraction, it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But when you do that, and when somebody knows they have your undivided attention, they respond to that. And Absolutely. It, it's a great, great marriage lesson to listen really, truly, not, not, be, not be texting or looking at your phone while you're talking to your dear wife, not be, you know, looking, thumbing through the mail that came in today or, or working on something on the side or adjusting things on your desk. Just stop. Uh-oh, did I hit a... <laughs> adjusting things on your desk? What's that mean? <laughs> well, you know, you, I have stories about you and the, the cleanliness of your work area. It's so impeccable, it would drive me crazy. But anyway, the point is to be so focused that you don't want anything to get by. So let, let's take a moment. Let's go to a, a soundbite on the science of love. This is from Soul Pancake. And you know, this, this, this first, we're going to be coming back to this uh, several times. This, this first soundbite really is about what is love. It's... Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if there's any real definition of love. Ooh, that's a heavy question. Love. Um, I think that love is when you put someone before yourself. It's definitely more than just a feeling. It's an openness and uh, it's an energy. That's the closest I can get to it, I think. Love is overcoming the differences that you two have and, and learning to find the imperfection and, and working with it. I really like that last comment, and, and a lot of what they're going to go through is trying to define what love is. And when you ask somebody that question, most of us are like, um, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's hard to define. Because one of the problems with that, Jonathan, is that we use the word love in so many different ways. It's really hard to define what we're looking for when we are trying to, to, to understand it. Step away from your screens, cell phones, TVs, computers, etc., and listen to your spouse. This has been a message from the foundation of a good marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, listen carefully. I caught myself looking at the phone when my wife was talking to me tonight. Oh, and no. This, this, I thought of this after <laughs> I did that. So let me ask you, did she point that out or did you just? Yes, she did. Oh, she did. Okay. <laughs> just wondering about that. Way to go, yeah. Jewel. <laughs> that's the important thing. And see, and that's the thing. If we are not listening intently, what we're doing essentially is we are devaluing what's being said to us. And we don't. Sometimes we do it unintentionally, and we don't want to go down that road. So, so we're going to focus on, on two types of love today in our, in our podcast uh, today about can love last a lifetime. So, Jonathan, let's go through the first type of love we're going to focus on. And this is from a biblical perspective is what? Uh, it's 
of the affection between spouses, parents to children, children to parents, this level is the most basic and instinctive. And it's the root word for Philadelphia love. You know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Right. So this is the root word for Philadelphia, and this is a basic, instinctive family kind of love. And, and just to give an example of that family kind of love in action in Scripture, it's uh, let's go to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And you look at that and you say a lot of that obviously is dated. When you say, well, be uh, homemakers, it's like, well, you know, women, what they're not valuable in the workforce. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that in society, at the, in those times, that's where the woman's place was because you didn't need two incomes to keep your household going. Everybody got by by contributing in the way that they contributed, and everybody pretty much had children, so that was an important role in life, not to be diminished, not to be looked down upon, not to be looked at as a secondary role, but it was a primary role. Now, it also says obedient to their husbands. We're going to hang on to that thought and come back to it later. But the idea in that scripture was that the women should love their husbands, to be, have that affection that is natural between spouses, love their children, have that parental affection that is natural. Uh, Romans 12.10 also uses this word in a slightly different context. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. So be kindly affectionate. That's the same word with brotherly love. That's Philadelphia. That's not the, 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 the word we're specifically speaking about. But again, the idea is to put others before you in a in a in a fraternal family kind of way and that's such a you know it, it sounds like such an, uh, a basic thing that you almost say well well duh you don't need to talk about it but we do need to talk about it because we've lost a grip on that we've lost the ability to put others before us because in this age of social media and electronics and technology, it's all about me. It's all about the selfie. It's all about what I want to do, what I want to look at, what I want to read, what I want to send, what I want to receive. And we forget our role in the bigger picture. And that's how families fall apart. Right. Because we are so busy doing, we are stopped listening. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255, or leave us a comment at christianquestions.com. Okay, so when you listen, you show respect and you show love. That's such an important place for us to start. The second kind of love that we want to discuss throughout the program is the most selfless kind of love, and that's, that's what, from a Christian perspective, a lot of people recognize the Greek word agape. What, what does this right. kind of love mean? Well, it means love, affection, uh, affection or benevolence. Okay, and when, you know, benevolence is is being willing to give for the sake of giving. It, it's it's not a give and take, like that instinctual love is within a family. But it's just being willing to give because that's what you want to do, and there's no thought of receiving. That is a great 
way to look at our, our, our married lives. And by listening, that's what you're doing. You are giving full attention. You are giving full credit to the words and the, and the, the, the physical actions of your spouse. And that's such an important thing. Let's go to, back to uh, uh, another soundbite. This is from now, The Definition of True Love. This is Jason Gaddis, and he uh, does marriage counseling. So he's got a, some, some sense of this. Now, if you're like I used to be, you might think love equals happiness, feeling good, warm fuzzies. And that's a limited definition of love. I call that infatuation. And if you're like I was, you would enter a relationship and things would be going great and it's all sexy and feeling good. And then as soon as a real relationship would kick in a few months down the road and things got challenging, like my partner needed something or had some valid conversation she wanted to have, I would kind of bail because it was too uncomfortable for me. And I was chasing the feeling, which is essentially when we're infatuated, we're chasing a feeling and we're not listening because we want to be heard and we want to be felt and that's about it. So I wanted to recap, Rick. So listening is really paying attention. And I was thinking it may not only be in words, it may be in body language. Right. And I was thinking of a, a practical example last week um, with Jewel. She was talking about how her neck and shoulders were really hurting her and her back was being affected and you could just see what she was going through. And in her describing this, I came to the conclusion of listening, saying, you need to get a massage because you've got so many areas that are not working properly that you've got to get that fixed. And it didn't come to her mind that it was even a solution. But once she did, what a difference it made because I listened to what she was really going through. So you got the message to get a massage. For her. Okay, and the message and the massage. That works out well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the opposite of listening. Let's go to Proverbs 16, 18 to 20, and then 24 and 25. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the bones. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So we need to be focused and clear on the role that we're going to play in the life, uh, in, the, in the life of our marriage. And we want to be able to very clearly listen to what our spouse says. Love provokes us up and out of pride. And one way it does it is by provoking listening. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, Can Love Last a Lifetime? Coming up. So we start our maintenance schedule by tuning up our ears. Then what? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Can Love Last a Lifetime? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 866- 
866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Sign up for CQ Rewind, hit the newsletter sign up tab, and register for our Insider CQ Rewind outline and our Insider weekly material. Okay, so listening is the real basis to get started with the maintenance schedule for a lifelong, happy, and productive and successful marriage. The second point from eHarmony.com, no less, the second point that has scriptural basis is to value each other. When you value someone, you won't want to belittle or tear down that person. You'll always be less inclined to take that person for granted. And you definitely won't be careless with his or her heart. When you truly value someone, you'll see and appreciate what that person brings into your life on a daily basis. Even better, you will find ways to communicate that appreciation every chance you get. Now, now, Jonathan, it's interesting because when you value someone, we say, of course you're going to value your spouse. But what happens is over time, you start to take things for granted and then you forget. And then you wake up one day, you realize the value is gone because I haven't paid attention. Jewel and I were talking uh, about this concept of valuing and we, and we looked it up and, and we kind of put a definition to it. Value is a high worth. It's precious. You put it above others. Uh, you don't put them down. You do all you can and show appreciation. And again, it takes effort and focus to truly value someone. So we've got to really, really work at that. Uh, Jonathan, I want to go to just a, a, a one verse of a song again. This is a wedding vow song. This was. This is an oldie. This is from NSYNC. This I promise you. But the point is, it's got that sense of making that deep, heartfelt, committed promise. I'll be your strength. I'll give you hope. Keeping your faith when it's gone. The one you should call was standing Again, you, you, you hear that and it, it, you get that feeling of, yeah, that's, that, that's, when we hear something like that, we think about what starts our marriage. We don't necessarily think about wh- where it ends up going later on. And uh, it's such an important thing to have. This, I promise you, is going to be part of the whole picture. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. We have Chloe from Connecticut on the line. Good day, Chloe, and welcome to Christian Questions. All right, Chloe, are you there? All right, I am not hearing you. All right, um, I'm not sure what what's happening here. We're gonna have to um, we're gonna have to not take this call, Chloe. I apologize. Uh, for some reason, your your audio is not coming through to us, so uh, we're gonna have to uh, let you go here. Okay, Jonathan, you there? Yes, I am. So uh, maybe maybe Chloe can send an app comment. 
maybe she can send an app comment um, to, to bring out what she wanted to share. Yeah, I don't know what happened there, but again, we apologize for that. All right, let's get back to the, to the, uh, to the issues here. We, look, we know men and women are wired differently, and as a result, we are shown different roles. So, and, and that comes out in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Okay, Ephesians 5, 21 to 24. Let's go with that, Jonathan. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay. Why? Hang on, right there. Okay. Stop me right there. That's right. Because be subject to the one another in the fear or in the respect or the reverence of Christ. So it's saying there's something bigger than you that should get you to, to stop what you're doing, stop what you're thinking, and to be subject to one another. And that is the reverence for Christ, our, our master. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. All right. So now it says, wives, be, be subject to your husbands. And in, in, in today's world, they say, wait a minute, you can't have that. It's got to be equal or nothing. So you've got this very clear command, it seems. So what are you going to do with that? And my answer is, wait. Just wait. Let's finish the context. Go ahead. But as, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Okay, so what we're going to do is, when we look at that, as the church is subject to Christ, now, see, this is the reason wives should be subject to their husbands. You say, well, wait, it's still not equal. You're right, it's not. And it's like, it seems pretty one-sided. As a matter of fact, it sounds like a recipe for unfair treatment, rebellion, and in this day, even lawsuits. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as usual, if we just read only a part of the Scripture, then we cannot possibly begin to grasp its true meaning. So we're going to need to get to the rest of the text to make sure we're understanding what's going on. But before we go to that, let's go back to soul pancake. Let's go back to people trying to describe what love is. You give all of yourself to somebody never expect anything back my definition definition of love is god it is i i think that god is love so love is god love is the innermost feeling one can present to another person who understands them being in love makes me feel better about myself all of the good things that i know are already there just feel highlighted in me just makes me feel like i can face the world just pure happiness and everything is right with the world nothing could go wrong it's an out-of-body feeling now some of those were were very emotional i really liked the comment though where the guy says being in love uh i I don't remember exactly how he said it sort of activates the best things that are in me and and it it, gives you a sense of purpose right and and it gives you a sense of well-being because you are accepted and cherished for what you are, and that gives you this a sense and this an ability to do more and feel like you can do more. So you know the idea is the maintenance schedule is um, is such an important part of this whole uh, this, this whole object of making this work. Okay, so. We have seen that wives are supposed to love their husbands, and they're supposed to be subject to their husbands as unto the Lord, okay? And again, that sounds like a really harsh thing, a very one-sided, and 
who do you think you are saying that and so forth. But now let's go to how the apostle describes what the husband is supposed to do. So this is Ephesians 5, 25 to uh, 31. So I just want to just draw a highlight, Jonathan. There's six verses here that we're going to go over. When it was wives loved their husbands, uh, it was really only 22, 23, and, and 24. So there's only three verses there. That should tell you something right off the bat. <laughs> husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to All right, Jonathan, I just, uh, I just lost you there for a second. I apologize for that. And Jonathan, are you back? I am. Okay, I cut you off in the middle of that reading. We were trying to get a call on just to see if this, this uh, call is working. Uh, Trish, are you with us on the line? No, okay, all right. Um, so, folks, tonight we're not going to be able to take calls. What we'd like you to do is um, have you message us via email or via your app. Um, if you're uh, listening through the uh, Mixler connection, you can certainly message us on the chat board there uh, so we can get your comments. We really do uh, want to hear from you. So, Jonathan, I apologize. I cut you off on that. But what he said, you know, the, the first section of that reading was husbands love your wives just the way Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her now that should tell you something about the kind of love that a husband is being uh, um, commissioned to to accomplish that's a sacrificial love it is it's a sacrificial love in a very very high level that we cannot take for granted it is a, a, a giving that is beyond anything that we know, because when you see the love of Jesus, you say, well, that's beyond anything that we know. That's the commission given to husbands. So let's go further, verses 28 to 31. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So again, there's, there's several things uh, in here that are so, so important in terms of understanding this relationship and understanding the incredible responsibility that's given to the husbands and the role that they are being described as needing to fulfill. So husbands cherishing their, their, their wives, that's, that's the key here. So the, the key to truly valuing your spouse, because that's the, the, what we're talking about this segment, is the key to valuing your spouse is in the concept of cherishing. Well, what does it mean? Scripturally, it says he nourishes and cherishes it. What does that word mean, Jonathan? Oh, Rick, it means to cherish with tender love, to foster with tender care. Okay. And when you look at that, and, and you look at it from a dictionary standpoint, because that's the, that's the biblical definition, what is the, the, the dictionary sense of cherishing? To entertain or harbor in the mind deeply and resolutely. So when you cherish someone or something, it is deep in your heart and in your mind. Cherish is the word I use to describe. <laughs> right. What he right. said. <laughs> I'm not joining in, so forget it. 
<laughs> save everyone. Uh, so the, the idea is to have this great sense of value. So again, listening begins to put us in that position. Valuing and cherishing tends to keep us in that position. We can't cherish unless we listen. And we won't truly listen unless there's room to cherish. I think that's really, really what it boils down to here. Uh, let's go back to Jason Gaddis. Uh, once again, the definition of true love. And he, remember, he was talking about infatuation, and he was talking about um, uh, chasing the feeling, and he was talking about the idea that, you know, uh, the way I used to be was if, if my partner had something deep to get into, it's like I shut down because it was too much. I, I wanted to chase that infatuated feeling. He's going to develop that now a little bit further so we can get more of a, a, a grounded understanding of his perspective on what true love is. In this day and age, we stay in long-term relationships, some of us, and infatuation, you're going to burn out on that. It'll take a few months, maybe a year, and a real relationship will set in, and that's where love comes in. So if we look at his infatuation as like support, and then we look at a real relationship as like there's a lot of challenge going on, you want to have a balance of both of those. And whenever you try to get support without challenge, challenge is going to come find you and you're going to end up frustrating a lot. And most couples I see really struggle here because they have a really immature notion of love. They're still caught in this idea of romantic love. So what he's saying is, you know, romantic love, look, that's what all the movies are about. All right. Yeah. Right. But romantic love is not what carries you through life. It's that settled in willingness to go to work, to, to, to apply yourself to the maintenance schedule so you can maintain something that has great, great, great value. And it's not an easy thing. So, Jonathan, when we look at the Ephesian scriptures, what was said, wives, what they were supposed to do, and then husbands, what they were supposed to do. Uh, let, let's go through some just observations about the, this guidance of valuing one another. And, and before we go, well, actually, let's do the, the, there's one point that women were given. What was that? Love and be subject. Okay, it's simple. Four words. Love and be subject. And again, a lot of people look at that and say, oh, you know, can't do that in this world. No, no, no. Th slow down. Let's look at what it truly means. And, and before I get to the next points, there's, there's several points that men are supposed to do. I just want to mention that one of our, our, our Christian Question staffers wrote an essay about her marriage, about her relationship with her husband. And, you know, and I'm not going to read it. It's, it's long, but, and, and it's very detailed. But it says, basically, when she went into her marriage, because of her childhood and so forth, she brought into her marriage a ton of baggage. And she had to learn to let that baggage go through life. And this is a wonderfully written personal testimony of how to change what you thought into something that can be of great, great value. So folks, if any of you would like a copy of this essay on this individual's marriage, uh, please email us at rick at christianquestions.com or you can send us a message via the app and we'll send you a copy. We're not going to make it available to just anyone because this is a very personal thing. But if you think that it would be a, a blessing and something that can help you, we want you to have it because it's a real person's real experience going through really hard and difficult times and coming out the other side in a wonderful, wonderful relationship. So, all right, Jonathan, having said that, what is the men's responsibility? 
love and give yourself up for her. Okay, that's just the first point. And when you say give yourself up for her, that means that she becomes more important than you. That's the way I read it. What, What else? Love and care for her as your own body. You know, we are so protective of our physical bodies. The scripture tells us that we as men should love our wives and care for them with that instinctive care we would give to, our, to ourselves. What else? Your love for her becomes your way of self-preservation. So because she is part of you, you actually preserve yourself by loving and cherishing your spouse. I mean, th- that's, that's profound if you ask me. What else? There's more. Cherish her. And again, to cherish means, and don't sing again, but <laughs> to cherish means, <laughs> you know, with, with tender love, to foster with tender care. And then finally, what's the last point on this? Leave all other ties for her sake. And, and Rick, the wife comes before parents, children, friends, etc. Right. She comes before everyone. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we put others before our spouse because, well, you know, you need to take care of things. Just remember, always in the right perspective. So, Rick, this seems pretty lopsided for the men, <laughs> doesn't it? Well, I mean, really, let's make the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and here's why, Jonathan. Men are task-oriented. Give them a task, give them instructions, and then they can go do what they're supposed to do. Women, not so much. But when you, when you think about all the things men have to do here, would you be willing to be subject to somebody Who's, who's got those things as their guidelines. We should really think about that because that is what it means to be subject. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is Can Love Last a Lifetime? Coming up with listening and value in place, are you ready now to approach perhaps the most difficult part of our marriage relationship, maintenance schedule? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Can Love Last a Lifetime? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by sending us a message on your app or emailing us at ChristianQuestions.com. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, now we are going to embark on the most difficult, I think, of all of these steps, and that is to forgive. Now, but before we go there, uh, we did get a, an app message from Chloe, who we who called in but was, wasn't able to uh, make her comment because of some technical difficulties. So here's her comment. Sorry I lost you. So once we've listened, she called in in the first segment, what do we do? Well, there are at least five love languages that people speak and respond to. We all tend to have one or two that we lean toward the most. The options are quality time, gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation or compliments and such, and acts of kindness, whether it's seeing, uh, you, seeing you needed a massage, that kind of thing, or taking out the trash. Then she says, find out what your spouse's language is and start speaking it. And there's great value in that advice. Even if you speak another one, speak their love language to them. 
And so, see, this is important. If they're listening, tell them and ask for yours. If they're not listening, pray. You can find out your love language for free by Googling the quiz, Five Love Languages. So it's kind of interesting that it's out there, and it's another way to, to get the listening and the conversation and the value all in place. And then we've got to get to this point of this really important and difficult point of forgive. So, Chloe, Chloe, thanks so much for the, the comments. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to, to write those out for us. Forgive. How beneficial Absolutely. are those comments. Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> forgive. No matter how deeply in love two human beings are bound to hurt each other with thoughtless words, selfish, selfish actions, or inconsiderate neglect, forgiving each other for those hurtful acts is the cornerstone of a lasting, harmonious relationship. Without forgiveness, slights and offenses accumulate like boulders on a highway. Devote yourself to clearing obstacles in your relationship through forgiveness. This is a hard one, Jonathan, because we all fall into that difficult place of being hurt and wanting to feel hurt and then feeding the feeling of being hurt and forgiveness is not easy to come by, oftentimes. And I like that last line, devote yourself to clearing obstructions in your relationship through forgiveness. You've got to clear the path. A relationship cannot move forward unless the path is clear. And pride can get in the way of nodding, not allowing forgiveness to, to do its work. Pride will destroy forgiveness. Make no mistake about it. Good good uh, uh, addition there because it's so important to have that humility. Let's let's take a, a left turn here for a few minutes here. Let's go to the skit guys, our friends the skit guys. Uh, this is the first part of their very short skit, Love's Anthem. And in this part of their skit, they're talking about I don't know, the problems of life, what happens when they try to love, all of the things that have, can, and will go wrong. Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like, I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. No promise is a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? You can't help me. Why love it all? Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 And, and it's such a, a poignant question to look at that and say, 
So, so often we get stuck in that sense that 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 lost place in our heart and in our soul when things aren't going well and we begin to doubt something so very, very basic. And again, Jonathan, forgiveness is often something that we can't find when we get lost in all of that. You're so, right, right. So forgiveness between spouses is really at the core of the marriage maintenance schedule. And again, when we talked about the maintenance schedule right at the beginning, it's maintenance schedules are not necessarily ever easy. But if you don't maintain, then something's going to break beyond recognition. For in some cases, it's like overhauling an engine that's lost its power to work. This is deep, focused, and disciplined work. And if you don't do the work, the engine of your marriage cannot drive you forward. And a lot of people go through life just like those guys that were just talking about the, the desperation of their own lives. And Rick, I was thinking about two Christians, a couple that are serving the Lord and married together. We all make mistakes, and if we can focus on the Holy Spirit, God's working within them, that new creature in Christ Jesus, instead of focusing on our fleshly imperfections and weaknesses and mistakes— we can rise above the petty and focus on the beauty that's really uh, that makes our spouse. And that's a choice. That's a choice that requires discipline and effort and humility and prayer and action and all of those things. But sometimes, Jonathan, we get so stuck and we say, forget it. You know what? It's not going to work. Everything's going to fall apart, just like that last soundbite. And maybe kind of just like this upcoming soundbite. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll recognize it. But it gives you a sense of the exasperation and saying, oh, forget it. It's just not worth it. Why? Well, listen. You ever think we'd play that on a Christian Questions podcast? <laughs> Never. <laughs> but but you know the the point is well taken. We get frustrated. We say, "Forget it. It's just not worth the effort." Just like in 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 the in the soundbite before from the skit guys. Wait till you hear the ending of that little skit by the skit guys. That's coming up later on in the podcast. But here you're stuck in that exasperation. Say, "Forget it. Nothing's worth anything." So. Again, we come back to forgiveness because oftentimes we lose our way when we don't find forgiveness. Our ability to forgive one another on any level really depends on how we see one another. And let's go to the scriptures uh, for, for, for an example here. Philippians 2, verses 2 through 8. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose— do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So it says, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
do we do that in our marriage relationship? I mean, if you were to give yourself a score, you know, zero to 100, you know, A, B, C, D, or F, how would you score? Honestly and truly, giving your, looking at yourself, do I look at my spouse as more important than myself? How would you score? Ask yourself that question. How do we see one another, I'm sorry, how we, how we do see one another really depends on how we see ourselves and how we see Christ in ourselves. See, because you can't see somebody else with a clarity unless you can see through the eyes of Christ in you. So how do you see Christ in you? Let's listen to a description of the deepest humility that has ever existed. Again, we're going back to Philippians 2. We're now verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And so when we talk about the greatest humility that ever was, here you have Jesus, and it's saying being in in, in a spiritual form. He left that entirely and became in the human form, the form of a servant, a human being, a man, and gave himself from that perspective. So he emptied himself of the spirituality, and then he emptied himself of the humanness. You think about that, and you think, now that is a humble example. And that's what we need to express in our willingness to stand up for one another. I mean, a key point here, if we hold on to an unforgiving attitude, okay, and again, we've seen the example of Jesus in the most forgiving attitude you can possibly see, but if we hold on to an unforgiving attitude, it will affect us physically and emotionally as our thinking in life will be continually influenced by that unforgiving attitude's clear and powerful influence. Because we are affected physically and emotionally, we will be affected spiritually, and that will directly detract from our ability to follow Christ and therefore detract from our ability to be forgiving. How do you see yourself in terms of Christ-likeness? Then you can see yourself as a forgiver. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. Uh, send us a, a text or communicate us through ChristianQuestions.com. We're unable to take phone calls at this time, but uh, use your app and send us a message. All right, so uh, several several very important things that are coming out, Jonathan, in terms of forgiving. It really comes down to what is it that you see? What are you choosing to look at in the person who needs to be forgiven? Or maybe you need to be forgiven. Are we looking at this through the eyes of Christ? Or are we looking at this through the eyes of hurt? When we see it through the eyes of hurt, we're just never going to get anywhere. We just won't. Yeah, selfishness versus selflessness. And the next verse we're going to quote is a very short verse, but nails that point exactly. Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we can take that attitude into our marriage— 
for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, to be selfless in all that I do, to look at my spouse as more important than me, to see my value, to protect myself by protecting her, to, to see my future in, in how I hold her up and how I cherish and honor and respect her, then forgiveness is so much more of an easy thing because we, we are looking at the person in, in our lives that we see with the greatest, greatest value. So remember to forgive is to make someone else's sin against us lose its relevance in our life. Now here's the thing about that, Jonathan, because you can say, well, so, so it just goes away? No, whatever happened doesn't go away. The event still happened. And the results of the event are still intact. But the relevance of the act against us, that is what is diminished when we forgive. So there is this maturing process of forgiveness that we have to get into our heads. It takes time and effort, but our example is absolutely inspiring. Let's go to Psalm 103, verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who revere him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. And, and Jonathan, that, that's full of so many good points. We, there's, there's several bullet points we want to get to. But before that, I just want to touch on another uh, message, uh, chat board comment that we got from uh, Joyful and Triumphant <laughs> on the nice. uh, message board. And, and there's just some bullet points at the end of her message. She said, listen the way I listen. Rivet your attention to the conversation, Psalm 130, verse 2. So listen the way God listens. Ask questions out of curiosity with the heart of a treasure hunter. That's Proverbs 2, 1 through 4. Listen with compassion, Psalm 34, 4 through 7. Be silent, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to react, slow to anger, as spoken of in James 1, 19, until it's time to speak. Speak with the intent first to convey that you understand, and then discover together what might work or help the dilemma at hand. So some powerful, powerful tools for listening. And folks, I went through those quickly, right? And you say, wow, I missed those. Seek your rewind full edition. They'll be listed out. The scriptures will be there. If you do not subscribe, please do because it's great material to take with you to apply to your marriage maintenance schedule so you can be much more uh, successful in that marriage of yours on a day-by-day basis. So, Jonathan, we're down to just a couple minutes here. Uh, three basic bullet points on that Psalm 103:13 verse. God, by nature, truly does know our weaknesses and frailty, and the result of his knowledge of us is a fatherly embrace for any who seek it. And think about that. When if, 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 if you're a father or, or your dad understanding the weaknesses and frailties of their own child and being willing to embrace them as a way of encouragement. Think of God Almighty being willing to embrace us as a way of encouragement. What's the next point? We who are in a position to forgive must practice that family-based approach to those who have wronged us as we accept that we as well as they are all faulty. Okay, so we have to practice the family-based approach that we talked about to, to love earlier in the podcast because we need to accept, look, they're faulty, but guess what? So, so are we. Right. So am I. And if we would focus on our own faultiness more than the faultiness of our spouse, it's a whole lot easier for us to be humble enough to do what we should do in these situations. And, and the last bullet point, and this, to me, this is the most important. We who are in a position to be forgiven must embrace the embrace of forgiveness. Okay. And Rick, I think we also need to be thankful 
and appreciate the strength of the other person for giving us our mistakes. Right, right. And, and so what it is, in, in relation to God, God hugs us when he forgives us. And, you know, have you ever seen somebody who's really depressed? When you hug them, they don't do anything. Their arms just stay yes. at their sides. Hug yep. God back. That's what it means to embrace the embrace of forgiveness. Hug God back. And by the same token, when it's your spouse that is forgiving you, hug them back as well. Because that is such an important part of this whole process of making all of this work in our lives. Folks, we're talking about making love last a lifetime. It is possible. It is probable if we take the maintenance schedule, fulfill it, and work with it day after day. We'll be back in the second hour in just a moment with more on that maintenance schedule about how to make love last for your lifetime. So for Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, think about it. And remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you think about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure you download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And we look forward to bringing you new program next week. family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Frederick Nitschke once said, it's not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we'll look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the topic on the table this evening? Well, Rick, our question is, can love last a lifetime? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, Jonathan, in the first hour, we were talking about uh, several points that, that we actually got from eHarmony.com uh, that, that <laughs> they fulfill our, our uh, guidelines of being scripturally sound, and that's why we're using them, about making a marriage work, making a marriage last. And there were three points that we touched on in the first hour. Let's go through them just very quickly here. The first one was listen. Listen to your partner reaps benefits in every area of your life together. When you listen, you'll learn things that will help you love the other person more deeply. All right. So listening is a place to start because and, – and, and to listen means to truly focus, not to just sort of half-heartedly hear what they said and nod in agreement. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Really great. Huh. Yeah. Thank, good, good, dear. Thank, yeah. Th thanks for sharing. You know? But to really be <laughs> engaged in the listening process, look them in the eyes – put everything else down and focus. And it's amazing the response you get from that. The second point is to value each other. When you value someone, 
you won't want to belittle or tear down that person. You'll always be less inclined to take that person for granted. And another word we used in that environment was to cherish them, to treat them as something of great, great value in your life so that they are always essentially in a way sacred to you. That's the kind of value we're talking about. And the third point was a very difficult one, and that is to forgive. No matter how deeply in love, two human beings are bound to hurt each other with thoughtless words, selfish actions, or inconsiderate neglect. Forgiving each other for those hurtful acts is the cornerstone of a lasting, harmonious relationship. If we do not have a forgiving attitude and forgiving actions, we cannot possibly keep that marriage maintenance schedule in gear, and we will lose something of incredible value. Rick, I found something uh, from a movie that I, I love, and I just wanted to share it because I thought it was appropriate for the subject. Okay, what, what, movie, we, did you, what movie did you get it from? Uh, it, Shall We Dance? Okay. And it says, we need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. I mean, what does any one life really mean? But in marriage... You're promising to care about everything, the good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the mundane things, all of it, all the time, every day. You're saying your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. That is powerful. That is profound. And again, folks. If you went too fast for you, CQ Rewind, the full edition, will have the, the, the text there for you. And, and these are tools so you can maintain that vehicle of your marriage and have an incredibly successful happily ever after. And, and Jonathan, one other point. We had talked about uh, an essay written by one of our uh, Christian Question staffers, uh, and, and she, she literally pours her heart out in this, in this essay. She wrote it, she sent it to me and said, Rick, if you think it can be of value to someone, please share it. So for those of you who are looking at this and saying, I don't know, I don't know, my, my marriage is not in a good place. I've had a lot of challenges. I brought a lot of baggage. So did this individual. We are happy to send you her essay. Uh, send us an email to rick at christianquestions.com or send us a message on the app and let us know where to send it and we will send you that essay because it helps to show you that you can start with really tough stuff and end with something very, very special. So, Jonathan, to be able to end with something very special, we can't be stuck in the fantasy. What we have to do is we have to get beyond it and understand the reality of life and then work the reality. So we're going to go back to Jason Gaddis. He does marriage counseling, the definition of true love. And here in this next soundbite, he's going to be talking about getting stuck in the fantasy. And if you get this, it's actually going to help you succeed in a relationship over the long haul because you won't be stuck in a fantasy of infatuation and feeling good and then when the challenge comes running away from it. You embrace challenge, you welcome it on in and you're holding both and your partner is getting you to love yourself more so that you can love them more by claiming and re-owning the parts they're triggering you that have been disowned and in the shadows. This is love. So I want to elevate you into a different conversation around what love really means in your own long-term relationships. It's not a fantasy. It's both sides, challenge and support, dark and light. I love the way he says that. I want to elevate you into a different conversation. Get up higher because that's where we can actually truly succeed. And you know, this is all serious stuff. 
So let, let's go to the next point from, from eHarmony, which is not so serious, but just as important. The, the fourth point from eHarmony.com in terms of staying in love is to laugh together. Laughing reduces stress, improves communication, gets past facades, and releases feel-good hormones in the brain. It creates great memories, helps grudges fade, and knits hearts together. Maybe your partner is always cracking you up, or maybe neither one of you is at all funny. But you both laugh until you cry at the same movies. Wherever you find it, laughter is good for love. And it really truly is. I mean, to, to laugh together is to be able to share in the variety of life. For a Christian, the sheer joy of life and blessing can bring laughter to the heart. And, and when we share that, we can actually create a contagious joy. And Rick, uh, I was thinking of joy. Um, you know, laughter isn't in the Bible much. No, but no, joy really isn't. In a family, you know, especially if husband and wife together are serving the Lord and they're, they're together, they're witnessing together, they're like you and your wife, and you're studying together, you're praying together, you're going to church together, you're bringing joy into your family because these are special things to you. And keeping that joy, keeping things positive, it's what we need for a successful marriage. And, you know, another part of laughter is being able to laugh at yourself. And to, and, Amen. <laughs> and, you know, for me, that is very therapeutic. When I, when I do something dumb, and believe me, it happens more than I would ever like to admit, and my wife knows more than anybody else how often that happens, you know, I, I usually start out mad at myself, and when, when I'm in, in, in the right kind of place, I can start out mad at myself and then end up making fun of myself and just laughing about it, like, oh, yeah, you know, you think you're so smart. Look at you. And, and you know, it's just there's something about just letting go. Uh, with children, with little children especially. To, I mean, there's great cause for laughter. Don't miss the moments that bring laughter because you're tied up in the thoughts that bring frustration. It's so important to, to live those moments because they'll go by and you'll, you won't even know you miss them. Jonathan, a couple of scriptures that, you know, <laughs> they have a, a serious bent to them, but they can be a point of laughter. Now, I want to I speak these scriptures in the context of laughter, not in the context of pointing fingers. Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. All right. So, you know, you can just be saying to your wife, now look, the corner of the roof is looking pretty good right now. <laughs> but if it's not said in the right way, it could be a disaster. We want laughter, not disaster. Okay. One more from Proverbs twenty-one nineteen. It is better to live in a desert desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Ay, ay, ay. So again, the point, Jonathan, is to find things that bring the smile to your face and to be to, to put yourself in a place of comfort with your spouse so that those things that bring a smile can bring some laughter. And, and to, to be able to go down that road is so therapeutic in terms of being able to di di uh, deal with the difficulties. And, and too often we get so tied up in the difficulties we forget about the laughter part. And, You're right. and, and again, don't miss the moments that would bring laughter and joy because you're, f you're focusing on the thoughts that bring frustration. 
Let's go back to Soul Pancake. Remember, these folks are trying to figure out how to explain what love is. And they keep trying, and they keep trying. <laughs> and so we're going to listen to them keep trying again. And they're getting closer. They're, they're starting to, to nail down what love is. That excited feeling to see them come home or to see their face after a long time of not seeing them. Warm fuzzies, that little increase in the heart rate, that little tingling on the skin, and also at the same time, a real sense of groundedness. So it's like having this floor underneath me that's always there holding me up. It makes me feel expansive. It makes me feel like I can take on the world and I can accomplish my dreams. I can help other people accomplish their dreams. So, you know, I, I like the, the woman who said, you know, lo love is like a floor underneath me that holds me up. And again, when we can, we, we can see that and we can feel that through the interaction and the sharing with our spouse, then everything begins to, to, to see, to, to look and feel different. When things look different than they did before, then you can rise to the point of being able to look at them. And again, if you can laugh at yourself, you can pretty much laugh at anything. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Give us a, uh, don't give us a call uh, <laughs> because our phones are not working, but you can send us an email at christianquestions.com or send us a message on your app. We do love to hear from you. And again, I want to encourage you to, uh, if you have not already done it, sign up for CQRU on the full edition. There's a lot here that you want to be able to go back to and look at and remind yourself of because you have to do the work of maintaining your marriage. You have to do the maintenance work. And if you don't do it and you don't have the right tools, it's not going to work. So we really want to get ourselves focused on what are the right things to do. And, 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 and tonight, t t today's podcast is full of those kinds of things. So let's go to another scripture, Jonathan. An another, uh, although the next scripture we're going to be reading in Philippians chapter 2 was written for the body of Christ and not for the sake of married couples, let's read it with marriage in mind because the principles fit exactly. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Imagine being in that, like you were describing before, being of the same mind, same purpose in life, and uniting that together, and the strength and the power that you create in that in environment. And again, when you are there, it's so much easier to laugh at the problems that you have because you're together dealing with them. Let's continue with verse 3. Do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. As more important than yourselves. Let's finish. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So general Christian principles are golden within the confines of the marriage relationship. So while the scriptures don't give us a lot on the marriage relationship, the principles of Christian living absolutely apply on the very highest level within that relationship. So, so Jonathan, let's now go to some of the science behind 
love and all of that because you know what there's a lot of chemistry involved i mean literal chemistry not that oh boy you know we had great chemistry but well yeah that's the same thing but it's different because but let's go to the <laughs> let's go <laughs> let's go to the soundbite this is again the science of love from life noggin Hey there, welcome to Life Noggin. Fun fact, I love you, you're the coolest. Animations can have feelings, right? Totally understandable. But what about humans? How does that all work? With Valentine's Day quickly approaching, we might as well learn a little bit about the science of love. Let's do this. Let's start off at a chemical level. Scientists believe that there are three main neurotransmitters involved with attraction. Dopamine, adrenaline, and serotonin. Dopamine makes you feel good, and it has the same effect on the brain as doing cocaine. Wow. Couples often show high signs of dopamine levels resulting in higher energy, suppressed hunger, higher ability to focus, and less need for sleep. I guess that would explain why I'm hungry all the time. Somebody please date me. Anyway, onto adrenaline. When you first start to fall in love with a person, your stress response is activated, increasing the level of adrenaline and cortisol in your blood. This explains why you might have sweaty palms and a racing heart when you see your new lover. So, you know, th there's a lot of chemical things going on on, on an entirely different level, and, and that's what triggers a lot of the physical reactions that we have when we feel this emotion uh, called love. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. So again, the... the, the admonition is really simple enjoy life with that one individual that one woman that you've been given talking about about a man and she is our reward i love that and and that's what it needs to be but you know a lot of this is chemical okay it, it's like you know there, there it's it's just it's it's body reaction and chemical reactions inside of your mind so that kind of reminds me of our next little soundbite here So you say, okay, if it's all chemicals, then what's love got to do with it? <laughs> Go Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, Jonathan, the whole point is we are created with the ability to love, to be attached to that one person in such an incredibly special way. And if we don't work at maintaining that, we're going to lose out one of the greatest privileges in, in, in our lives. Another text, another scripture for the body of Christ, but think of the joy it brings when we apply it al along with our spouse. Another Philippian scripture, again, this is for the, a general Christian principle, but now let's think about it in terms of finding the common ground and finding the place to laugh with your spouse. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So we quote that scripture a lot uh, on, on the podcast and talk about it in terms of general Christian thinking. But now put that in the, pla in, in, in the place of your marriage. And when you look at your marriage, think about the good things. Think about the positive things. Think about the growth things. Think about the active things that bring us further along in our Christian walk and think that you can do that together. 
And man, Jonathan, that changes the way we look at our married lives. And sometimes we need to change the way we look at things so we can get to the place we need to get to. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is Can Love Last a Lifetime? Coming up, laughing together opens doors. So what is behind those doors? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Can Love Last a Lifetime? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. You can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and any time at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so Jonathan, uh, <clears throat> we've gone through four of those points from eHarmony.com. We're going to get to the fifth one, which is Be Kind, in a moment. But I just want to just share another app comment. Uh, this is from Brenda in Arizona. And she says, uh, and this is commenting on Chloe's first comment from earlier in the podcast. She said, understanding each other's love language is an important, is an important point that was made. My husband really values, needs listening and communication. I realize I need appreciation. We freely and sincerely give this to each other, which builds us up and draws us closer. And then she goes on to explain, so I love cleaning the house and making dinner because he notices and appreciates me with his words, his eye contact, his smile, and his kiss. Uh, And then she talks about anger habits that were there earlier in their marriage and and how she learned to work through them. And uh, she said, so, but now he is on the same page. So because they figured each other out. And we get through situations more quickly and resolve the true issue without anger. And she says, love your show. So Brenda from Arizona, thank you so much for that personal experience on putting the maintenance to work and seeing the results of the maintenance. Let's get to the fifth point uh, in, in our maintenance schedule, and that is to be kind. When it comes to keeping love alive, kindness is essential. For one thing, it breeds appreciation. It also builds trust. It's hard to stay in love with someone around whom you walk on eggshells because you never know when the next criticism or put down is coming. In this manner, kindness is the antithesis of abuse and mistreatment. So to be kind. Now, look, sometimes if if your spouse is not that kind, this might be hard. But many, many times kindness can wear down frustration. It can wear down anger. It can wear down resentment if it is constant and clear and and sincere. So to be kind is a great place to start. Let's go back to the science of love from Soul Pancake. Again, talking about the way way these these folks are trying to describe the, 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 the action of love. And you just become this better person and you have that little hole in your heart that was missing and now it's felt because you have love. When you care about someone more than you care about yourself and you would do anything for that person. To me, love is a feeling of winning. When you're winning, you're happy, you're free, you're honest, and it's a way of 
showing your light that you are the best version of yourself. That's what love is. I like that. Showing that you are the best version of yourself. And, and, and folks, look, as spouses, we can pull that out of one another if we choose to. We can pull out the best, best version, version of our spouse and let that be what the world sees. I mean, think about the power that you can have to positively change other people's lives by loving your spouse that way. And Rick, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is kind. All right. And, and so what, what does the word kind mean? It means to show oneself useful, that is, act benevolently. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to stumble, so I, I, I thank you for picking up hey, the other Hey, not end. a problem. So benevolence <laughs> is a disposition to do good, to act with this disposition to do good. That's, that's what you are, are, are inclined towards. And some, for some of us, we have to learn how to be that. Well, that's probably for most of us. We have to learn how to be that way. But when you think about kindness, everything can change. Let's go to Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So if our true and deep kindness begins at home, how much more will it blossom everywhere else? And see, Jonathan, that's the other part of this. We keep talking about the maintenance schedule for your, 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 your relationship at home and how important that is. But think about, think about the ripple effect of working that relationship at home and really working it so that there is a positiveness that is between you. What ends up happening is you bring that positiveness wherever you go. And think about the example it is for your children. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, you, when your children can see what a marriage can truly be, it's an amazing experience. You know, just a, a quick personal example along those lines. My, my daughter Emily uh, just got married uh, back in November. And her husband, Don, um, he is such a great guy. I just, I just love the guy. I really do. He's just such a great guy. But, you know, he didn't come from a really strong marriage background. And he kind of grew up thinking and believing that oh, marriage is, forget it. It never works. It's just a waste of time. I will never get married, ever. And Emily wore him down. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at his birthday uh, in, in this past month, he was, was sort of expressing to the family that he saw something in not only in Emily, but in the family dynamic of working together and loving one another that he had never seen and understood before. And he, and he embraced it. And now he's a full-blown part of it. And it's such a great thing because that is an example that just ripples out to whomever is, is there to, to hear it or to see it. Let's go to 1 John three seventeen and 18. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help. Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. So it's not what you say. Now, what you say is important, but it's what you do. Successful spouses learn to give kindness to one another almost instinctively. And when you learn that and it becomes instinctive, you're living at a different level. And, and that brings me to another, um, another uh, comment from the app. 
This is uh, Coretta from Florida, and she writes, One imperative aspect of love and marriage is that, that is lost in the world today is commitment. And you know, Jonathan, that is one of my favorite words when we talk about marriage. Oh, it is. When we lose sight of the marriage vow, it becomes too easy to give up on marriage. If we would only trust in God's faithfulness to us by honoring that commitment, He will honor our efforts and bless us tremendously. And she quotes Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5. So thank you, Coretta, for that comment. It fits so perfectly in this, in this area of being kind, in this maintenance tool of being kind, because kindness will come from you if you have that commitment. It will come out much more naturally. Kindness flows when there is true respect. 1 Peter 3.7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Oh, here we go again with the scriptures. You're downplaying the wife's role, you know, before it's be subject to the husband, and everybody gets all bent out of shape until you read what the husband is supposed to do uh, to, to be worthy of that being subject to, and you think, wow. That is as high a standard as there possibly can be. And here it is. Okay, give honor to your wife as unto the weaker vessel because she's just so weak and so incapable and so small and so insignificant that you have to take care of her. Is that what it's saying? No. No. Not even remotely close. Let's, let's get down and try to uh, understand it. Let's expand a little bit on the meaning of this weaker vessel thing uh, from that scripture, 1 Peter 3, 7. First of all, to honor. What does it mean to honor? By analogy, esteem, especially of the highest degree, or the dignity itself. So to esteem of the highest degree. You don't esteem something that you look down on or belittle. No, you don't. The the two don't go together. So folks, if you're going to look at the verse like this, understand when you esteem, you are looking up to, you are honoring, you are respecting, you are cherishing, you you are looking at it with such... Uh, such an attachment. It's, 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 like, it's like, Jonathan, and I know you know this feeling. It's like when, when you look at your, your, your wife and you see the beauty in her and you, you can't stop looking. Yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling. I know. Oh, I know yeah. you know, and I know that feeling. And, and, and you yes, say, you do. there is something there, and you, th- th- you see the heights of that person. So that's, and then you get the reaction like, what are you looking at? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> Just let me look. <laughs> Shh, I'm in the middle of something here. <laughs> but see, that's the idea of that high level of honor. It's not some trivial thing. It is, it is very, very, it's, it's deep. It's, it's sacred. So, okay, so, so honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, now look, what, is it, what does the word weaker actually mean? It means strengthless. Okay, so you say, well, wait, are you saying that all women are strengthless? No. What we're saying is give great esteem to your wives as you would to something that is of great value and yet fragile, not as physically strong. And look, the, the, in, 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 in the typical biology of men and women, that is a very true assessment of where we are. And the point is this. The point is to honor. It is not to look down upon. It's not to say, uh, I, you know, I've got to take care of you. It's I want to 
care for you because you are so worth caring for. And women are wired differently than men. And they react to the world differently than men. Face the fact, own up to it, and use that to everybody's benefit. Be kind. So, Jonathan, as we move on, let, let's go back to the science of love from Life Noggin. A little bit more chemistry, a little, another chemistry lesson. What do you think? Go for it. Okay. Next up, serotonin. Serotonin levels have actually been shown to drop in people who are in love. This drop in levels can compare to the level of serotonin that a person with obsessive compulsive disorder might have. This would explain any anxiousness or nervousness. All of this chemical talk has got something called pheromones. Pheromones are chemicals that humans and animals produce that can affect the behavior of other surrounding humans or animals. They're excreted through the skin and can be found in things like sweat and tears. Pheromone attraction can actually help one find their best genetically compatible mate. In one study, women were asked to rate the smell of shirts worn by different men. In most cases, the women rated the shirts highest who were worn by men whose DNA was different from their own. All right, so there's a surefire way to find out if you, you have somebody who's compatible. Let them smell your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> but again, the point, <laughs> the point is, to, is to understand that and here's the thing i think this is such an important important part of our conversation understand that we are wired to be attracted we are wired to be connected we are wired to walk together in our chemistry in our biology in all of the ways that we were created god built us this way and we should not for a moment take that for granted or make light of it because it is such a powerful part of the human experience. So, Jonathan, kindness is such a, a big, big part of, of the, the maintenance schedule of, of uh, a, a successful marriage. Point number six, a little bit different on the scale of what we're talking about in terms of what we see as, as, as of great value. Point number six is to flirt. Now, listen carefully to this. This is very specific. Flirting helped you fall in love, and it can help you stay in love. And don't just flirt with your words. Some of the flirtiest things can be said best with body language. Flirting says to your partner, I'm still attracted to you, and I'm still crazy about you. All right, so who says all maintenance has to be work, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and, and again, the, the biology of love has this concept of of being playful with one another. I want to go to a soundbite, and it tells a little bit of a story. This is from the movie The Wedding Singer, and if you don't know the story, the guy's in love with the girl. She's going to marry another guy who she's really not in love with. They're on an airplane. He finally catches up with her on the airplane, and he's got to tell her that uh, you know he's in love with her and before she goes and ruins her life because she's not in love with the other guy. So Billy Idol is part of this whole this movie. He's playing himself in the movie, and you're going to hear his voice uh, announcing to the passengers on the airplane about a first-class passenger who has a message to give somebody who's flying coach. And then you're going to hear the little song. And this is an Adam Sandler movie. This is just a, a great little moment in the, in the act of love. Good afternoon, everyone. We're flying at 26,000 feet, moving up to 30,000 feet, and we've got clear skies all the way to Las Vegas. And right now, we're bringing you some in-flight entertainment. 
one of our first-class passengers, we'd like to sing you a song inspired by one of our coach passengers. And since we let our first-class passengers do pretty much whatever they want, here he is. I wanna make you smile whenever you're sad. Carry you around when your arthritis is bad. All I wanna do is grow old with you. I'll get you medicine when your tummy aches. Build you a fire if the furnace breaks. Oh, it could be so nice growing old with you. I'll miss you, kiss you, give you my coat when you are cold. Need you, feed you, even let you hold the remote control. Let me do the dishes in our kitchen sink. Put you to bed when you've had too much to drink. Oh, I could be the man who grows old with you. I wanna grow with you. And again, you you, you listen to something like that, and it kind of melts your heart because. It, there's the sentiment of the longevity of what we're talking about. I just want to grow old with you. Look, you can even hold the remote. <laughs> I just want to, I want to be a part of your life, and I want you to be a part of mine because we can do so much more together. Just, just a, a wonderful, wonderful little, little story there. And, and Jonathan, you know, we're talking about flirting. Now, look, the Bible doesn't talk about flirting. Okay, you're right. No surprise. The Bible has no comment on flirting, but you know what? The Bible does talk about sex, like it or not. Okay, so here's one of those verses that explains the role of sex in a marriage. First Corinthians seven three and four. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So why would the Apostle Paul write that? And here's the thing. One of the things back then, talking about sex in terms of the, the world was something that just wasn't spoken of a lot in, in public. Not like today. Today it's, it's so far overdone, it's, it's very sad and actually kind of despicable, if you ask me, but that's a different story. The point here is that the Apostle is saying, look, your sex life is not business, it's attachment, it's pleasure, it's togetherness. Don't lose sight of that togetherness because that's part of what holds you together. So the Apostle Paul, <laughs> this sounds strange to say, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the sexual relationship of those spouses that are following Christ. And it's a godly thing to have happen in your marriage. It's an important thing, and it's godliness in a very different way, but it is something that God created in us. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is Can Love Last a Lifetime? Coming up. So all of the maintenance is in place. Now how do we maintain the maintenance? <laughs> That's next.
You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Can Love Last a Lifetime? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by messaging us on your app or go to ChristianQuestions.com and leave us a, a message. The conversation continues online. Interact with us on Facebook, tweet us at CQNet Radio, and we're now on Instagram. All right, lots of ways to get a hold of us. We love hearing from you. We truly do, and we we especially appreciate all the comments we've received tonight. Very, very helpful, and educational, and valuable in terms of understanding the maintenance schedule for marriage. And folks, we do, again, want to remind you of the essay that we have from one of our staffers. She wrote about her own marriage, the journey she had to go on to get rid of all of the baggage that she carried at the beginning, and how she learned to become a godly Christian woman in that marriage and find true happiness in it. it it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you would like a copy of that, uh, please email us at rick at christianquestions.com or you can send a message through the app and uh, let us know where to send it and we'd be glad to send that to you. And Rick, that last song that we listened to, um, I appreciated some of the words where he's going to take care of her with her arthritis, yep. with her difficulties at the end of her life. Think about the relationship and the value that one has to the other to be there for them when there are difficulties and tragedies. They'll be by their side no matter what because they're devoted to them for life. Yeah, and, and I, re- I think about my mom with my dad before my dad passed away a couple of years ago and how she was there every minute by his side taking care of things. And when she couldn't take care of things, she arranged for somebody who could. And it just, that is exactly what is the, the, the outgrowth of marriage maintenance throughout a lifetime. And they were together for about 60 years and, you know, by God's grace. So, and that actually does bring us to our final point from eHarmony.com, which is the seventh point is to protect. Couples stay in love because they value the love they have. That means they do whatever is necessary to defend and safeguard their relationship. All kinds of unwise behaviors, addictions, affairs, lying, misplaced priorities can jeopardize your unity and undermine your intimacy. That's why it is critical to be intentional about protecting what you have together. Be intentional about protecting what you have together. If you're not intentional about it, you get careless. So to be intentional is a great way to describe this. Let's uh, take one more visit to the uh, science of love with Life Noggin. Again, a little bit more on the chemistry of how love actually uh, works. Our sense of sight is also a big one. See that cutie over there with the hella good hair and the clear skin? Our instinct is to be visually attracted to that person who shows characteristics of being fit for reproduction, or in some cases, just the first part of it. Our ears also contribute to this attraction party. Hearing a person's voice along with the way they speak in some cases higher or lower levels of attraction. While sense of touch can be a very important part of anyone's relationship, it really can make or break the beginning stages. Many people become uninterested in a person after a bad first kiss, but are they making a bigger deal out of it than necessary? Well, not always. Getting this close to a person, your sense of smell, taste, touch are all working together, and when your brain reacts positively to a first kiss, your body is flooded with norepinephrine. Your body goes into fight-or-flight mode, your heart beats faster, and the norepinephrine creates a sort of tunnel vision to help you focus on the... 
or run away. So it gives you a real sense of, again, the chemicals drive us and you think well are we driven just by chemicals no i mean there's there's a thought process there's a conscious decision making but that's the way we're wired and let us understand it and use it to the glory of god really that's really what this is about first uh, thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 5 and again this is about protecting one another and this is about uh, you know things that you got to really be watchful for for this is the will of god your sanctification that you abstain from fornication that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So it's talking about holiness and honor. When we lose this basis of holiness and honor for our lives, we lose the foundation on which to build, cherish, and protect what can be a successful marriage. Rick, today in our lives, there there's a huge problem out there, and that is pornography. Oy. It can ruin a marriage. It and it, it's so easily accessible through TV, internet and, and other ways. And we need to make sure our focus is right. It's valuing our spouse and them alone. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. It's too easy to get too far off the path in this world. And it takes extra vigilance as a result. See now, and again, that's why in the scripture it talks about honor. Look, the honor here, and again, just let's talk about sex for a minute. The honor here is the sexual experience being expressed where God intended it to be expressed, within the marriage covenant. That's where it belongs. That's where it has its truest, truest value. And, and another problem with protecting, Jonathan, is sometimes we fall into the old, the grass is greener elsewhere thinking. Proverbs 5, uh, 15, and then 17 and 18. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. So this is talking about that, you know, in, in the last, last soundbite, he was talking about the norepinephrine, the, the chemical that gives you tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. That's what this verse is talking about. It's saying maintain tunnel vision when it comes to your, 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 your physical life. Let them be yours alone. Cherish and protect your spouse and the relationship that you have with your spouse. Because if you don't cherish it and protect it, it will be violated one way or another. And like you just said, Jonathan, in this world, the violation of that can come so easily. And all you need is for that little crack in the armor, and then it can get bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon you don't even recognize what you once had. And you wake up one day and say, what happened? And the answer is, what happened happened over time and over the allowance of little things to get in the way that perhaps might have uh, felt good or, or, or been stimulating for a moment, but they have now ruined your life and you need to do a lot of work to, to, to regain it. Look, the pleasure of your physical relationship is sacred and it's honoring before God. You know, in Hebrews, the, the scripture says, you know, a marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. I mean, it is an honorable institution. There's nothing wrong with it. If we can see the beauty of it in God's creation and say, wow, this is the way God made us, look, then it's, it's a whole different story. So 
again, protect, cherish and protect. Letting anger or resentment fester, boy, that's going to hurt tomorrow. Okay? Oh, yeah. And we can't allow ourselves to do that. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. All right, so again, lay aside falsehood, just speak truth, uh, and, and, and look, it's okay to be angry, but don't sin as a result of that anger. Deal with it. And again, cherish and protect. We, we've heard some, from some um, from listeners tonight through the, the app comments and so forth about how important it is to have that communication, to listen, to understand the, what your spouse responds to so that when things do get difficult, you know the pathway to communicating with them. And if we don't do that, then we're going to be lost. And Rick, I also think this Ephesian scripture is talking about if we hold a grudge or we did something wrong, that forgiveness should be taken care of as quickly as possible so that it's done at night so you wake up in the morning fresh and renewed and start again. So it's important to overcome mistakes You know, and I'm, 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 I'm glad you brought that up about having a grudge because think about it. Sometimes we can develop a grudge because we were wronged, but our partner may not know, our spouse may not know that we were wrong, that they wronged us. That's so we're, ho- we're, we're holding the grudge, but they're not sure why it is that we're mad. So are you willing to be the first one to say you're sorry if only for your reaction when you were wronged? Because if you start by saying, look, I'm holding this grudge and I, you know, I need to talk to you about it, and maybe they were the one who did the first wrong, but if you can rise up and approach it, it opens the door. And yes. that's how you protect. You protect by talking and you protect by listening and protect by honoring and respecting and cherishing one another in, in these situations. So you're right. Holding a grudge and constant complaining are never ever good things. Let's go to uh, scripture on that is Proverbs 19 uh, verses 11 and 13. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. A foolish son is destructive to his father and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. The drip. Drip. <laughs> drip. <laughs> These are things that create the issues that make a marriage falter. And when we allow, I mean, look, it says a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, which means a man who does not have discretion will not be slow to anger. It right. is a man's glory to overlook a transgression. Now, a lot of times we look at men, if you're going to be men, you're going to just, you know, you're going to put your foot down and you're going to insist on this, that, and the other thing. But that's not what this verse says. It says it's to overlook a transgression. Can you be a manly man and overlook a transgression? That's what it means. It's not to be just focused on, you know, what I want. It's to be focused on the right thing. I think, Rick, uh, an important principle is don't talk about your spouse's faults and weaknesses to others. Yeah. Protect your bond, for we wouldn't want them to share our mistakes with others, right? Right, right. And, and that's such an important thing. Keep your dirty laundry at home. Nobody needs to see it. You know what you guys ought to do? Wash it together. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's what you do with dirty laundry. You don't say, wow, look at that pile of dirty laundry you have. You say, hey, 
let me help you clean that. And you figure out a way to cherish and protect one another by doing it together at home. Now, Jonathan, remember back earlier in the podcast, we heard from the skit guys. And yeah, they weren't very positive about love. No, love fails. Love never fulfills its promises. It always breaks. I've made a mess of love in my life. I I don't know what to do. I mean, it it, it was. It was very. It led us to that soundbite of love stinks. Remember? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, now let's hear the conclusion of that discussion because it's a whole different picture now. Why? Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me. But because he first loved me. And there's the answer. When you need to figure it out, the best part of this is we have an example. And we were loved first. Not because we deserved it, mind you, but just because we were. So if God through Jesus, the two of them can love us like that, certainly we can learn to do the same. So Amen. what we need to do is clothe ourselves with grace as we put away every damaging, imperfect human characteristic. It's truly a recipe for protecting one another. Now, this is not easy, okay? And a lot of times we can't even put these things away, but we have to try. We have to put our best effort in. So, uh, Jonathan, our last scripture for uh, today's podcast is Colossians 3, 8 through 15, and I'm going to interrupt you a lot. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Okay. Now, here's the question. What if you can't get rid of those things? What if some of those things are just so ingrained in you, they come out again and again and again? What are you supposed to do? So let's hang on to that question as we go through the rest of this. Go ahead. Do not lie to any one, to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. All right, so the first thing that's being said here is do not lie to one another. That is such an important place to begin. Now, sometimes we have situations in our lives where we just naturally, we've developed the habit. I won't say naturally, but we've developed the habit of lying first. What this is saying is you have to be aware of that and attack it squarely and be humble enough to try and put that in a different perspective. So, and it's talking about clothing yourself with something different. And, that, and so not lying is a basis for clothing yourself with something different. As God chooses chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. See now, 
clothe yourselves. It doesn't mean that those things are from the inside out yet, but they're from the outside in to begin with. Uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We can put those things on and we can learn to use them by trial and error. What else? Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. All right. So now, it, do not lie. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. So now it's rise above, rise higher, rise higher, and rise higher. What else? Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. With that selfless, benevolent love. And that's the binding factor in our lives. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Okay. And how about those last few words? An attitude of gratitude, Rick. It can change everything. It really can. And, and, and that's really what it comes down to. This is about not only managing our lives, but putting the maintenance in to the most important physical relationship that we have so that we can make that relationship better and stronger. And not only does it benefit the two spouses working on it, but it also benefits everybody around them as well. So the, the seven points, listen, value, forgive, laugh together, be kind, flirt, and protect. The degree of value you place on your marriage will determine the, the degree of effort you put into your marriage. And Jonathan, that really is the bottom line, isn't it? It is. So, folks, it's, a, it's about a choice. It's about a series of choices. It's about the realization that life goes on, and as life goes on, we tend to get comfortable with things. And when you tend to get comfortable, you stop paying attention. And when you stop paying attention, you stop maintaining. And when you stop maintaining, you start to lose. And when you start to lose, all that there is is regret. So this is the schedule. This is the maintenance that's so important in our lives. This is the maintenance that is so important for us to put into place so that we can live a Christian marriage that would be an honor and praise to God Almighty and to His Son, Jesus. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you enjoyed being with us tonight. There is so much value here if you decide to use the steps that we talked about here. So until next week, think about the incredible value and opportunity that you have to make your marriage work. Again, until next week, think about it. And again, folks, remember we love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And we look forward to another program next week.